few moments after the dissolution of the Second Council, Prince Jerome entered the waiting room, having just arrived from the army, and begged me to inform the emperor of his presence. Although a young soldier, he had just performed more than could have expected of an old general. Forty thousand men had been rallied by him under the walls of Leon. The mention of this is no more than justice to the youngest brother of Napoleon, whose name, raised in the list of sovereigns, deserves at least as a general to be inscribed upon the Arc de Triomphe, as a testimony to his noble conduct in those days of misfortune, when men of the highest courage were filled with apprehension, and those powerful minds were constrained to yield to the force of circumstances at Waterloo. He forgot his title king in order to fight under the orders of a French general, and his division covered itself with glory at the attack on Hougoumont during the retreat, which is still more difficult. He proved himself to be greater, and even in the field of battle, for by dint of opportunity, activity, and zeal, he arrested the course of the fugitives, rallied them under the walls of Leon, and restored them to the command of Marshal Sewell, exhausted with fatigue and still bloody from the wounds which he had received, he came to prize the emperor of the reorganization of the 1st, 2nd, and 6th Division of the Army, which when united to the 42,000 men under Marshal Grouchy, would amount to more than 80,000, and composed an army with which he might commence in order to take a bloody revenge on the Duke of Wellington. The emperor had no banker. He had never conceived the idea of being condemned by his destiny to create resources abroad as a protection against the ingratitude of France. In 1814, he left 400 millions of francs in the hands of the Bourbons, and trusting to the law of treaties, he set out for the island of Elba, taking with him 15,000 Napoleons. The remains of the army chest of the campaign. Those 400 millions were personal property. He had acquired them by diplomatic treaties and from the savings of the civilists of Italy and France. They constituted his extraordinary domain and private resources. The former of these he used in order to pay what he called his debt towards the army. And upon it, he founded dotations. 175 millions of the extraordinary domain were employed in paying the expenses of 1813. And 1814, 205 million still remain. On the 11th of April, when the emperor signed the abdication of Fontainebleau, these 175 millions in gold in the vaults of the Tuileries and 30 million in the treasuries of the crown of Orléans. Those 30 millions, nearly eight, became the spoil of the Allied generals or the price of treason. The imperial civil list amounted to 10 millions. The capital, which had been accumulated at the 1st of January 1814, exceeded 100 million. The emperor's will proved that his opinions with respect to the disposition of his property had undergone no change. For he says, I bequeath my private domain, one half to the officers and soldiers who fought for the glory and independence of the nation from 1792 till 1815. The allotments we made pro rata, according to the rank and service, and one half to the towns and districts of Alsace, Franche Comte, Burgundy, and the Isle of France as a compensation for the losses they'd suffered from 
foreign invasion. His brother, King Louis, had set an example of these noble sentiments. He had laid down the crown of Holland in order not to be obliged to sacrifice that which he believed to be the interest of the country to the will of the emperor. He had preferred the retired life of a private citizen without the bounds of the empire to the royal honors which would have surrounded him at Paris. But the moment the Allies set foot on shores of France, he claimed the honor of being a French citizen and hastened to demand permission for his brother to fight in the foremost ranks. I arrived at Elysee a few hours after the emperor. The first person whom I met was the Duke of Vicenza, Calancourt, coming out of the cabinet. The agitation of his features gave evidence of the state of his mind, and I had need of the assurance of our former intimacy to enable me to dare to stop him. A word, I entreat. What is going on? All is lost, answered he. You arrived today as you did at Fontainebleau, only to see the emperor resign his crown. An impenetrable mystery protects the emperor's enemies. The leader of the chambers desire his abdication. They will have it. And in a week, Louis the 18th will be in Paris on the 19th at night. A short note in pencil was left with my porter, announcing the destruction of the army. The same notice was given to Carnot. The last telegraphic dispatch had brought news of a victory. Both of us at the same moment hastened to the Duke of Toronto, Fouché. He assured us with all of his cadaverous coldness that he knew nothing. He knew all. However, I am well assured events succeeded each other with the rapidity of lightning. There is no longer any possible illusion. All is lost, and the Bourbons will be here in a week. For 48 hours, I had not quitted the Elysee Paris. Night and day, the emperor had remarked it so much so that he said to me, as I announced Prince Jerome, how is it that I see no one but you here? And it is perhaps to this circumstance that I am indebted for his determination to take me with him to St. Helena. After Prince Jerome had taken his leave, the emperor was walking under the great trees in front of his apartment, seemingly deeply absorbed in meditation when, stopping suddenly before the glass door of an antechamber, he tapped gently on the window and made a sign to me to join him. Where's Seminville? What does he say of all this? I know not, sire. Tis now three months since he quitted Paris. He is at his estate near Coutances. But your mother's at Paris. He writes to her. What does she say? I have not seen her since your majesty's arrival. Without seeing any more, he walks several times up and down the path. I was doubtful whether I ought not to retire and slacken my pace in order to allow him to pass. He turned back. Petrin hesitates to accompany me. Joy refuses. You will accompany me, will you not? Yes, sire, I answered without reflecting. Instantaneous emotion produced by his voice and his looks ruled my whole being.